Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. Property values and property taxes will be in the news later this year in Franklin County. I'll talk with County Auditor Michael Stenziano about it in a moment. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend covers a number of topics, including the ongoing concerns over the East Palestine train derailment, an effort to make defibrillators more readily available at schools, businesses, and other locations, and the growing need for child care availability and support as Central Ohio's workforce grows. And in a little over 45 minutes, Kate Burdett talks with Sarah Towns from Experience Columbus, the city's marketing and tourism department. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me, Michael Stenziano, who is the Franklin County Auditor. How are you? I'm outstanding. Uh, Good to be with you. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, The Auditor's Office is truly an interesting, kind of fascinating office because you folks do a lot more than I think a lot of people realize. We touch uh, and impact the lives of Franklin County residents every day. And the good news is, as you pointed out, they may not know it, uh, but we uh, run from the fiscal side. Uh, to consumer protection, to property values. Yeah, everything from, of course, property values are are the one I think a lot of people think of, but weights and measures, dog licenses even. (laughs) So so the the adage is that we assume when the General Assembly was uh, assigning a number of responsibilities, the auditors weren't in the room, because you're correct. Uh, (laughs) We are a mile wide in terms of duties and responsibilities, and uh, work hard to make sure they're all meeting the needs of the businesses and residents throughout the county. And uh, when it comes to property reappraisals, 2023 is a very important year. Absolutely. So under Ohio law, every six years, uh, auditors' offices are required to perform a mass reappraisal. And so what that means for Franklin County property owners this year is every property of about 450000 across the county will be reassessed and reassigned a auditor evaluation. Uh, and that's important for a lot of factors. Uh, the mo- one we hear the most about, though, is how it correlates to property taxes. And so we want all property owners to be aware this is a mass reappraisal year to work with our office to make sure we get the most fair and accurate values we can. So you have a team. Uh, do you go around and actually look and then photograph the properties, or how do you do it? What do you do? In, in a mass reappraisal year, we do go out to each parcel. Uh, there's photography. Uh, There's flyovers, and then there are individuals that go out and look at the characteristics, uh, do their appraisal measurements. We do not go inside any properties, and so that's why the information uh, we glean from other resources, real estate listings, uh, a number of other kind of trade documents is so important, but also the property owner's involvement, making sure that the information we have about their property uh, is correct, so number of bathrooms, square footage, chimneys, all will factor in into the uh, appraised value that's released this August. If somebody has the classic six-foot privacy fence around their backyard, do you peek over the fence to see what's going on in the backyard, or how do you do that? We do not. That's when we rely on the other tools uh, that we have uh, with geospatial imagery and kind of being able to lean in with the technology that's available uh, these days. But it really is a, a huge undertaking. Over 400,000 properties, you said? It, it is a large county with a lot of properties. Uh, so we, it's a project that we've spent about two years uh, leading up to. It's not one we just woke up on January 1st of this year to undertake. Uh, but what is important is 
for the past two years now this year looking at what sales in our community have looked like it has been a very hot market uh, we are really in a kind of perfect storm with our population growth but our decades long lack of housing meeting that population growth and with some changes in state law outside investments uh, we are looking at historic increases yeah, a, a lot of houses, it seems, are worth a good $100,000 more now than they were six or eight years ago. You're correct. Uh, we have had a really hot real estate market, and while maybe the number of sales is not as hot, and, you know, about two years ago, things weren't even on the market a whole day. Uh, on average, they're about two and a half, three weeks on the market, but people are still offering a significantly higher value than what a sale uh, would have been six, eight, a decade ago. So if somebody's property is worth, let's say, 40% more than it was five years ago or so, or the last time that the reappraisal took place, does that mean that they might expect a property tax increase in that neighborhood? Oh, that's the, that's the big question. Uh, and one we are prepared for this year, uh, we are going to have a tool available in August where any property owner can look at what the increased value may uh, correlate to their property taxes. You have scenarios, so our auditor's valuation is one piece of how we establish uh, property taxes in Ohio. Uh, and when you get that property tax bill from the treasurer's office, not the auditor's office. Uh, the other piece is uh, one's taxing district. And so what voters do at the ballot box uh, on bonds and levies with that appraised value is how we get to that ta- property tax. And so there are scenarios where your property value can go up, taxes go down. Your property value could go down, your taxes could go up. Uh, It's really going to depend on that taxing district. And so we're going to have this tool in August uh, where you can look at the historical impact of your taxing district, correlate it to what the proposed value is, and see what impact, if any, could have in changing your property taxes. Property taxes uh, aren't a one-to-one proposition under Ohio law. So while the value goes up and you want your property value to go up, uh, not down, uh, it will not be if there's a 30% increase, you're not going to see a 30% increase in your property taxes. When you look at a neighborhood, you know, you can type in addresses and see what other people's property in your neighborhood is also appraised at. And sometimes one house might go up and the house next to it might go down. How does that happen? And what what are you looking for that causes that? So we're always looking at an arm's length transaction, uh, and our office appraisers are always kind of keen to, there's different dynamics at play. If maybe it was a family transaction. And so trying to understand what occurred with each sale the best we can, uh, when we do the mass reappraisal, we'll create delineated neighborhoods looking for similar characteristics, square footage, updates, uh, and have our proposed appraised value uh, reflect that. Uh, the good news is property owners play an important role throughout this process. Uh, currently, they can complete a neighborhood survey, or we encourage all property owners to come to the auditor's website, rankincountyauditor.com, and, and make sure the characteristics of the home are accurate, and then once they receive the tenant of value this August, they can uh, set up a informal property review and work with us further if they feel the value is accurate, because maybe they feel it's being compared to an outlier higher or lower sale. Talking with the Franklin County Auditor, Michael Stinziano, if you uh, have, you know, overgrown weeds or, you know, a tree that looks like it's ready to fall over or a fence that's falling apart, 
Can that impact the reappraisal process, and could it impact your neighbor's value? So it should not. Uh, one of the stories I share is someone once contacted me about snakes in their grass and mold in their fridge <laughs> and felt the value we proposed was too much given the uh, circumstances. That's not what we're going to be looking at. Um, if there is damage or destroyed property, that does have an impact. Uh, and there's a process where we can capture that and encourage anyone that may have uh, be a storm, a fire, or some other damage to short property to reach out to the auditor's office as well. Uh, but but we tr- take as even keel look as we can with our delayed neighborhoods, understanding different factors. But weeds, uh, a tree that may look like it's going to fall down until it actually damages the property would not factor into our valuation. Now, toward the end of summer, then, you'll send out notices uh, letting folks know what the value of the home is going to be uh, appraised at, but that is changeable for some people, right? So where we're at uh, in August on the uh, Know Your Home Value website, that'll be your one-stop shop for all Franklin County property owners to understand uh, the rest of the appraisal process, what's going to happen this year. You can look up your property and see your tentative value as what the auditor's office is recommending. Uh, We will also mail notification, uh, but as you mentioned, in September, a property owner can set up a informal property review meeting and work with our office, either in a virtual setting or in person, uh, to share where they feel the value is too high or too low and why, and that's additional information we appreciate to help establish a fair and accurate valuation. And from what I understand, many times the value does change after that, right? Depending on uh, the year and the circumstances. So when we went through the triennial two, three years ago, so in 2020, uh, we actually saw a lot of no changes just because the market was so hot. Uh, we, we want and anticipate hearing from a lot of property owners and want to work with them to make sure we've got the, the information accurate and we're properly reflecting uh, the valuation that proper for their neighborhood. I wanted to ask you just real quick, too, about property taxes in general. Of course, it's been controversial in Ohio for decades because of how it's connected to school funding and was found unconstitutional in, in uh, you know the Supreme Court and all that. But a big concern these days is with property values escalating, that the property taxes are going to, especially seniors, perhaps force them out of their neighborhoods because their property taxes have become too high, even if their house is paid off. One of our biggest concerns in the auditor's office and that I share is the feedback and concern that individuals feel they're going to be property taxed out of their neighborhood. It's something we heard early on. It was actually at a housing forum hosted by Congresswoman Joyce Beatty. And so we are very committed to making sure folks understand how property taxes are established. Uh, It's not easy to always understand, uh, but have advocated over the, uh, the past four years for changes to modernize and not have property taxes increase above a certain percentage. So a little more predictability, uh, as you mentioned, it does serve as the primary funding mechanism for local schools and a whole host of other entities uh, that provide wonderful services across the county. Uh, unfortunately, that legislation uh, has not been taken up. Uh, it's had a couple hearings. Senator Herschel Craig has been a great champion in partnering with us across the county. Uh, but the members of the General Assembly currently have pending legislation where they are seeking to maybe change the tax structure. And key to that is what impact any changes would have 
on property taxes. And so there's a little bit of to be continued, but if any resident, uh, be it a older resident or anyone feels and has questions about what's going to happen in their neighborhood with the value increases, our office is committed to working with them, have them understand the process. And uh, there's definitely programs within the treasurer's office and across the county that may be available in the solution as well. I think the Homestead Exemption Act in Ohio was kind of watered down a while back, many years ago. But do you see perhaps uh, any work down the line in readjusting that and making it more significant than it is now? The Homestead Exemption is another area where we're very supportive of modernizing. Uh, There has been multiple pieces of legislation introduced at the General Assembly uh, to change uh, the threshold for qualification, as you alluded to. Uh, Maybe not watered down, but the change of adding age with an income threshold has definitely resulted in less older residents being able to take advantage of the homestead. Uh, A few governors ago, it was not age and income. It was just age. And so we saw a lot of Ohioans take advantage. Uh, That continues to dwindle as Ohioans get older. Uh, I think there were eight pieces of legislation last General Assembly that were trying to up and modernize the homestead exemption. And I know there's already been one introduced this General Assembly. Uh, So very supportive of finding a solution for residents to get the benefit of the bargain, if you will, that the General Assembly intended when they created and administered the homestead exemption. Just a moment or two to go here with uh, Franklin County Auditor Michael Stenziano. Do you have any sense on what's going to happen down the line with home values? Do you think that this reappraisal is going to be more painful than the next one? <laughs> uh, I, I, so painful is a tough word. Uh, this one is probably going to be one of the more historic. Uh, just given how hot the real estate market is, our population growth, uh, and the historic lack of housing options, uh, we're in a kind of a perfect storm, as well as attracting great economic opportunities with different bigger projects. That is something that these values are reflective of. Uh, again, having the value increase is something we all want. You don't want to see that value decrease, uh, but recognize and are very sensitive to the concern it has in people's pocketbooks and what the correlation of the property taxes are. And so we're working very hard to educate folks. Until that housing gets caught up with the growth, it, it will continue uh, to be, in my estimation, a very hot real estate market, but we will continue to watch it and, and update accordingly. And I guess, you know, it's kind of a growing pain thing, too. I mean, when you look at Intel coming in on the northeast side, obviously that's going to have an impact in that area. But that's what happens when your big city grows up, I guess, right? So that has been some of the responses. We've communicated with members of the public because they feel maybe we've been a little behind of becoming that big city. And this is a reflection of that movement forward. Michael Stenziano, Franklin County Auditor, with us. Uh, if folks want more information, what's the best thing for them to do, Michael? Frank County Auditor's website, auditor, uh, franklincountyauditor.com, uh, or they can always email me, auditorstenziano at franklincountyohio.gov, and we're happy to answer any and all questions and get you accurate information as quickly as possible. Auditor Stenziano, thanks so much for your time today. Sure appreciate it. Thank you. It might be hard to imagine, but there's a place where you can find a restaurant on every corner, a place where you can eat like a king for as little as a dollar. It might be hard to imagine, but this is the same place where the school lunches aren't just delicious. They're themed with palate pleasers like mozzarella stick Mondays, taco Tuesdays, and French Fridays. Heck, even pizza counts as a vegetable here. 
This is a place where the fast food just keeps getting faster. You can even order delivery right from your video game console. And how's the food, you ask? Well, it is to die for. Don't believe us? Just ask the friends and family of the 300,000 who did last year. Welcome to the state of America. Welcome to Obesity USA. Population 115 million and getting bigger by the day. To learn more, go to visitobesity.org. That's visitobesity.org. Brought to you by the Pennington Biomedical Research Foundation. Hi, I'm Dom Tiberi. Nine years ago, we lost our daughter Maria to a distracted driving accident. To honor her life, we have pledged to educate young people on the dangers of distracted driving. We funded simulators and visited schools to inspire more than 120,000 young drivers to stay safe. Help spread Maria's message in your school. Contact us at mariasmessage at 10tv.com. And remember, distracted driving is dangerous driving. My muscles ached. I was tired all the time. My son had a full-blown asthma attack. It came out of nowhere. The unsettling thing about some symptoms is... I had a fever and these terrible headaches. You don't always know what's causing them. It was Lyme disease from a tick bite. I had Zika virus from a mosquito. He had a reaction to cockroach allergens. Threats to your health can come from unexpected places. Get the facts. Visit PestWorld.org. A public service message from the National Pest Management Association. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend. From her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10TV. Thank you for joining us for Face the State this morning. I'm Tracy Townsend. U.S. Senators from our state introduced the Railway Safety Act of 2023. Now, this bill calls for enhancing safety procedures for trains carrying hazardous materials, establishing requirements for wayside defect detectors, requiring at least two-person crews, and increasing fines for rail carriers when they break the rules. U.S. Senator J.D. Vance says it's vital that the people of East Palestine don't feel forgotten. I think the only way you can do it is to keep on talking about the issue and for me as a senator to continue to apply pressure pressure to the company, Norfolk Southern, and to the relevant federal authorities so that people don't get left behind. I, I certainly talked to a number of people from East Palestine. We're in constant contact with folks on the ground. You're right. They're terrified they're going to get left behind. We're going to do everything in my power to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, but again, there, there has to be concrete, I think, actionable things that we can do for East Palestine, and we have to stay on top of that. You know, we have to consistently test the air in the water, not just next week, not just next month, but I really think years in advance. We have to make sure people get the health screening they need so they're confident they are healthy and their families are healthy. And like I said, we need to make sure that East Palestine gets the financial support it needs to get back on its feet. 
Senator Sherrod Brown. They need to reimburse people for their for their hotel stays because they fled their homes um, for the cleaning of their homes um, before they move back in. They need to reimburse the local community for replacing or moving its fire station. They need to reimburse for all the testing. And they need to look down the line five, ten years from now when people may very well have, have bronchial illnesses or or cancers caused by the breathing of this stuff and the drinking of the water. Governor Mike DeWine went to East Palestine again to talk with the people there. He toured the crash site and saw that cleanup efforts were happening firsthand. He let out several goals for the state's response. Uh, number one, we continue to hold Norfolk Southern accountable. Uh, their railroad, their train, their responsibility. Number two, uh, we intend to continue to focus on the safety of the people of East Palestine every single day, and we will continue that every single day. Uh, we will continue, number three, to test the air. Number four, we'll continue to test the water. Uh, number five, uh, where appropriate, we will, con we will test the ground. We will test anything else that needs to be tested. We will, number six, we will continue to report those results as we get them. We will continue to tell you what we know, and we will tell you what we do not know. Seven, and finally, um, we intend to continue to take a holistic approach to this community and the tragedy that they have suffered and the trauma that they have suffered. By holistic, uh, this, is, this is what I mean. Um, when I talk to people in the community, the number one thing that is expressed to me uh, is their desire to get back to where they were, get back to normal, uh, live their lives. And that includes all the things I've said, but it may include other things as we look forward uh, to go forward uh, for this community to continue to, to thrive. The toxic materials from the derailed train are being shipped to various locations in and out of Ohio. However, leaders in those locations claim they were kept in the dark about the dangers. Chief investigative reporter Bennett Haverly shows us how the EPA is trying to rebuild trust. Truckload shipments of contaminated soil and liquid waste from the train derailment site were temporarily paused after concerns were raised from states where those materials were being sent. Tuesday morning, Indiana's governor tweeted that he continues to object to the EPA administrator's decision to move hazardous waste from the East Palestine train derailment to Indiana, adding that there's been a lack of communication. EPA Administrator Michael Regan was back in town and was asked about those shipments. Uh, what we are doing is working on an alert system uh, so that Norfolk Southern can be held accountable. And as this material is moving, the appropriate authorities have the appropriate information so that the communities are not alarmed and that communities know that their safety is being taken very, very seriously. Ten Investigates was there as the truckloads of hazardous waste were being loaded up last week. They're being shipped to at least three facilities in Ohio, including one in Sandusky County. I personally wish that we maybe would have had a couple of days sooner to know when the loads were going to start. That way we could have just done a little bit more educational outreach to our residents. That county's EMA director said her concerns were quelled, however, after learning that most of the materials being shipped in her county involved overflow water from firefighters' foam used to combat the fire after the train derailed. What, what did you see that night? Ah. 
just a lot of smoke and fire. Scott McAleer witnessed the derailment. He lives a few houses away from where chemicals like vinyl chloride spilled. Three weeks later, he has the same concerns as many we spoke to. Fear of the unknown and concerns about long-term impacts. Everybody wants answers. I want answers. Is it safe for my two kids? Is it safe for my neighbor, my dogs, my cat? But we can't get it. And that was Bennett Haberly reporting. The EPA also plans to introduce some new methods to doing air sampling, not just that continuing air monitoring, in an effort to ease people's concerns. The EPA will require Norfolk Southern to sample for dioxin, a problematic pollutant that has been a concern of the people who live there now for weeks. You can find updates at any time on 10TV.com or on the free 10TV app. Senate Bill 1 now moves to the Ohio House. The bill is aimed at overhauling the Department of Education and State Board of Education. Governor Mike DeWine would name the director to oversee the new department. Supporters say Ohio schools aren't getting the job done and a change is needed. Opponents say this bill lacks specifics. The education system we have is uh, very, very complex uh, to educate over a million kids, uh, all of these te- thousands of teachers, uh, and it requires us to be very deliberate, conscientious, and as sure-footed as we can to ensure that the changes we enact produce the intended results. I think this legislation is curing dandruff by decapitation, and I think we could develop workforce programs within the existing program that would benefit our students, both short-term and long-term. A new effort is underway to fight human trafficking in Ohio. The Ohio Attorney General's office is teaming up with Mount Carmel Health System to train healthcare workers to know the signs of human trafficking and how to help those patients. 88% of human trafficking survivors come in contact with the healthcare system at some point. Survivors help put the training videos together. We're, we're fragile, we're broke. We, we need that compassion, that love, that care, not what we did, but what happened. So one of the things in this fight that we're always looking for is a trust environment um, to, contact, to, to bring a survivor into a place where they have support or services. And you know what? Um, I'm an old prosecutor. Uh, I'm a law enforcement guy. But I have learned that a bust or a sting is not exactly a high-trust environment for a survivor. This training program will be used in hospitals across the state. Healthcare workers will learn what to do and what to ask when they think someone may be a victim. We now know of at least one school district in our state that's been given the green light to arm their teachers. The state officially approved Benjamin Local... Benjamin Logan Local Schools, 24 hours of curriculum. 10 TV's Richard Solomon shares how soon this will take effect. One thing Stephanie Snyder knows is that her greatest accomplishment is being called mom. Our most prized possessions are our children. Her daughter is a sixth grader in Benjamin Logan Local Schools. It's a small school district in Logan County, nearly 15 minutes from Bell Fountain. Anything that they can do to keep our kids safe... I am fully in support of. Since last year, the district has worked towards adding an armed response team made up of school employees. And now? That's why we like the layered approach of having SROs and a trained armed response team. Superintendent of the district, John Shue, says that thought will be a reality. 
He says the state approved the school's curriculum for an armed response team. They're now in the process of working out a scheduled time for the roughly 22 volunteers to take the 24 hours of required training. The training includes scenario-based training, mediation, de-escalation, and handling critical incidents, just to name a few. 20 years ago, I don't, I don't know if anyone would have thought we even needed uh, police officers or deputy sheriffs in schools. At this day and age, it's, uh, we, have to, we have to think about it, we have to act on it. Shu says volunteers have hundreds on top of hundreds of hours of training already with the sheriff's department. Once it's all done, they'll be able to carry a concealed handgun on school grounds. It's a tool they'll have, but one they hope they'll never have to use. And that gives Snyder some ease. I feel very confident that we will, that we will be safe. That was 10TV's Richard Solomon reporting, and he's told that training will happen sometime this spring or summer. We'll certainly keep watching and keep you posted. A push to put a life-saving tool in your neighborhood. One Central Ohio family is turning a tragedy into action. And he never got to meet my kids. What this family wants to put in your home that could save others, and how Ohio lawmakers are joining in that effort. The average person gets two to four colds a year. Most of these are mild and treated with rest and plenty of liquids. But MSNBC anchor Yasmin Vesugian said she developed myocarditis after a cold. Myocarditis is a serious but rare condition when the heart becomes inflamed. Some people online were skeptical a cold could cause this. And Verify viewer Ian asked us about it on Facebook. So, let's verify. Our sources are the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, Johns Hopkins Medicine, Mount Sinai Health System, and the American Heart Association. When you get infected with a cold, your body's immune system fights back by sending white blood cells to attack the virus where it's lodged in your body. If the virus makes its way to your heart, then Mount Sinai says the white blood cells will follow. However, when the cells are in the heart, they also release a chemical that can inflame the muscle. This is called acute myocarditis, which can cause the heart to become swollen and weak for weeks. In mild cases, the Heart Association says it can be resolved with rest and medication to treat the root cause of myocarditis and reduce the swelling. More serious cases may need long-term care. So, yes, you can develop myocarditis after having a cold. Other viral infections like the flu, as well as bacterial and fungal infections, can also lead to myocarditis. With your Verify, I'm Brandon Lewis. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. When you're high, you feel different. You think different, you talk different, you draw different, you listen to music different, but you probably knew that. Problem is, you also drive different and not in a good way. That's why driving high is illegal everywhere. So if you're high, just don't drive. Make a plan to get a sober ride. Because if you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back. When Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the football field in Cincinnati, he was saved by people who knew CPR and who had quick access to an AED, which shocked Hamlin's heart back into rhythm. Many of the places that you and I go every day don't have an AED because there's no law that requires them. An Ohio lawmaker has plans to reintroduce a bill this session that would mandate AEDs in schools, but not for businesses. As 10TV's Kevin Landers explains, a local woman who lost a loved one to cardiac arrest is calling for change. One, two, three. The scariest part of sudden cardiac arrest. So you want to keep your elbows locked. Is that every minute a person doesn't get a shock from an AED or automated external defibrillator. Attach pads to bare skin. Their chance of survival is reduced 7 to 10 percent. The defibrillator is what's actually going to reverse the cause of the cardiac arrest. CPR is buying us time and giving us a viable patient for that defibrillator to restore that normal cardiac rhythm. Also called a doctor in a box because it tells an untrained person how to use it, this life-saving machine Sorry. wasn't there when Jill Hutchinson's father, Van, and he never got to meet my kids, collapsed inside this Lowe's store in May of 2001. I believe that it... it would have made a difference possibly in my father's life. Um, I was actually told that at the hospital, but between the time the squad got there and the time that he got to the hospital, he was pronounced dead. Nearly 30 states have mandates that AEDs be placed in specific businesses, not Ohio. Sarah Bops teaches CPR and AED training across the state. I train pharmacists for five different major companies, and not one of them have AEDs in all of them. She believes it's time Ohio mandates AEDs. I'm actually trying to get in front of somebody in the state of Ohio that can recognize that there should be a bill that mandates that there should be an AED in any company that has that deals with pharmaceuticals in Ohio, period. When a woman was shot to death at this strip mall on Sunbury Road in January, an employee at this urgent care told us there wasn't an AED in the store, so we ran next door to the Kroger to get one. Places like the BMV, places of worship, even schools aren't mandated to have an AED. One in 50 schools is going to experience a sudden cardiac arrest event each school year. Nurse Sarah McGraw-Timmis is the health coordinator for Lancaster City Schools. Here, every school has three AEDs, which she says is unusual. Do you think that should change? Yes, I do. I think every school should be furnished with AEDs. Mary Newman is the president of the Sudden Cardiac Foundation. Making AEDs uh, mandated in large and places of large gatherings, it's absolutely essential. She says when someone provides CPR immediately, survival increases 30 percent. And when people use an AED immediately, it goes up to 50 percent. The high cost of an AED was once a deterrent for many to own one. Experts say not anymore. If you can afford an iPhone, you can probably afford an AED. Step one. Cardiologist Dr. Michael Jolly has seen firsthand the power of an AED. There are many times patients have a cardiac arrest and we shock them and they're, they're back to being fine. He says many public places do have them, but more are needed. Would it be great if there was a, a law that would kind of mandate as a building code or something if X number of people were here? I think it'd be great. Um, these things save lives. As for Jill Hutchinson, who lost her 50-year-old father to sudden cardiac arrest. I wonder what if. What if her dad would have been in a store with an AED? In 2019, Lowe's made a commitment to put AEDs in every store. 
Hutchinson hopes her heartbreaking story will prompt other stores to do the same. Because you never know where, you never know when, and you never know what time that someone you love or someone you care about um, could have a sudden cardiac event, and having something like this on site could save their life. Kevin Landers, 10TV News. And another concern about sudden cardiac arrest is that 70% happen in the home. Yet even with a doctor's prescription, most insurance companies won't cover the cost of an AED. The Ohio Casino Control Commission released the January revenue reports for sports gaming and casino gaming. Gamblers in Ohio bet $1.1 billion in the first month of legal sports betting. Most bets were placed on apps. And because of that, the state will get about $21 million in tax revenue. Ohio's four casinos showed a total of $86 million in gaming revenue in January. Honda is expanding in our state. We will detail what's being built in Jeffersonville. Plus, it's a move the Biden administration hopes will solve two problems. One, the need for more skilled workers, and two, the need for access to affordable, high-quality child care. I'm Lindsay Mills in New Albany. I'll have the details coming up. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I got to tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation. And it feels good. Wow, your story is so... uh, Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) When people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. Every two minutes, a woman in the U.S. is diagnosed with breast cancer. And in that split second, her life changes forever. The toll of breast cancer is great. The need to support those who are battling the disease today is even greater. We're fighting alongside patients because we know one moment can change a lifetime. United by hope, we can end breast cancer. Join our fight. Save lives. We put our lives on the line for our country. We braved the unknown. We did what we were told. And we lit up. Our cigarette packs were as valuable as the packs on our back. Maybe more. At one point, cigarettes were part of our daily ration. Smoke them if you got them. And boy, we were smoking them. Bumming a smoke was the norm. It was an escape from the reality of dirt, sweat, and forgetting how many days you were so far from home. Never had to worry so long as you had a light and the smoking lamp was lit. If that was you then, get your lungs screened now. Surviving lung cancer starts with a scan. Learn more at ScreenYourLungs.org. And thank you for your service. This PSA was made possible by industry funding and guidance from lung cancer patient groups. When kids need medical care, they will often face stressful and life-changing experiences. They miss out on the things that make being a kid fun. 
Starlight Children's Foundation has delivered happiness to 17 million seriously ill kids and their families at more than 800 children's hospitals and healthcare facilities. Our programs entertain and inspire hospitalized kids. Learn more at starlight.org. That's starlight.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Let's build And that, friends, is the moment Honda broke ground on its new battery plant in our state. Construction now officially underway in Jeffersonville. It's a $4.2 billion investment adding to the tech industry that's now booming in Ohio. So we're celebrating the beginning of a plant that's going to be built behind us. This plant um, is going to have over 2,200 people employed. It's going to be several billion dollars worth of investment. We're going to be producing 35 gigawatt hours of battery per year. That can power upwards of half a million vehicles per year. So this is a significant undertaking, and for both Honda and uh, LG Energy Solution, really critical strategic partnership uh, that we're taking place here in Ohio. Just to give you guys some sense of the scale of the plant that we're building, it's going to have, uh, it can fit 78 football fields within the building. This is Ohio's time. Uh, This is our time in history. Uh, We're going to continue to bring companies in to Ohio. We're going to continue to see companies that are already in Ohio uh, continue, continue to expand. Intel is also going to build a big tech manufacturing facility in our state. We've been covering this, of course, and federal dollars are needed to make that happen. The U.S. Commerce Department opened up applications for that money this week. Every company will need to explain how they plan to develop a local workforce. Any company that gets more than $150 million will be required to provide child care. The goal of that requirement is to solve two problems, the need for more workers and the need for affordable, high-quality child care. 10TV's Lindsay Mills reports on how Intel could play a role and why local child care advocates say they're feeling hopeful. If semiconductor chip manufacturers want more federal dollars, they're going to have to provide a plan to support their employees with child care. Construction is underway at Intel's self-described mega site in New Albany. In order to support this growing tech force in our backyard, there needs to be a workforce behind the workforce. That's why local child care advocates are applauding Tuesday's announcement from the Biden administration to require companies like Intel to prove how they will support their workers with child care if they want to tap into billions of dollars available in new federal subsidies. How equitable our growth is depends on how well we answer the call of working families for child care. Eric Karolak is the CEO of Action for Children in Columbus. He says that support could take several different forms. Whether that's an on-site child care center, some additional support so child care, uh, so employees can uh, afford child care, or working with child care providers to expand their capacity. Child care advocates say the timing of this plan is critical. This problem is getting worse, not better. Shannon Jones is the CEO and president of Groundwork Ohio. She says they conducted a poll one year ago to paint the picture of the problem in Ohio. 60% of women with with young children said that they would either work more hours or get back into the workforce if they had access to high quality, uh, affordable child care. Jones says there's an opportunity right now 
in Ohio to help parents return to the workforce to grow our economy. The state that figures this out first is the one that's really going to benefit from the onshoring of manufacturing and reshoring of manufacturing. You can't have one without the other. We need workers. The workers are telling us that child care is the issue. We need to be responsive to those needs. And here is Intel's response to Lindsay about this story. Their statement said in part that they already provide benefit packages that include child care programs with tuition discounts at local child care centers and emergency backup child care resources. Happy birthday, Ohio. All right. That's right. The Buckeye State turned 220 in the Ohio History Connection held a celebration at the State House. It included the announcement of the winners of the Ohio History Leadership Award. Among the winners, former U.S. Senator Rob Portman for his work to protect the historic Colonel Joseph Barker House in Washington County. The former senator also brings our Face the State note of promise this week. The University of Cincinnati is home to the new Portman Center for Policy Solutions, an academic center where studies will focus on civility, open and inclusive dialogue, and bipartisanship in politics. Portman said in a statement, he views the center as a means of developing future leaders and encouraging results-oriented public service. Portman's resume may be an example. He served in both the House and the Senate and worked across party lines. So congratulations to him, and we thank you for being with us today. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Times of transition, whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early-onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. Trying a new hobby, volunteering, exercising, even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others. All these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org to see if you're at risk of social isolation and find ways to get connected. This message is brought to you by United Healthcare and AARP Foundation. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Here's Kate Burdett. Experience Columbus is the destination marketing organization for Ohio's capital city. And during spring break season, they have a lot of suggestions, especially as we've heard about higher airfare, higher gas prices. Maybe it's time to consider a staycation. I'm joined by Sarah Towns, Chief Marketing and Innovation Officer for Experience Columbus, Sarah, we're talking about live to break free. Tell me about that slogan. What does that mean? Well, live to break free is all about this spring and 
you know, really getting outdoors, experiencing all that we have to offer in Columbus, seeing what's new, what new attractions are opening, new restaurants are opening and break free from, you know, kind of the winter woes that we can all go through um, being part of a Midwestern city, Midwestern destination. Although we can't complain too much about the weather we've had over the last few weeks or even the month of February, but warmer temps give you so many opportunities to get out and enjoy our city. And that's what live to break free is all about. There are definitely a lot of opportunities to live to break free and to explore the capital city, whether you live here in Columbus or on the outskirts or perhaps elsewhere in the state. Sarah, let's talk about some of the exciting new things happening in Columbus that people might not know about for their spring break plans. The Columbus Metropolitan Library has a pretty significant anniversary this year, don't they? They do. So it is our Metropolitan Library's 150th birthday, and they are going to launch this summer our first or inaugural Columbus Book Festival, July 15th and 16th. They have already started a special author series and events. For instance, this past Sunday, they had Julia Quinn, who's the author of Bridgerton, at the main library and will continue to host unbelievable authors leading up to that book festival. And Sarah, something else here in Columbus that I was not expecting because it's usually associated with Washington, D.C., cherry blossoms. Yeah, so people don't always think of Columbus when they think of cherry blossoms, but we have more than 5,000 iconic cherry trees um, that you can really get out and outdoors and uh, explore and and look at during peak bloom. We actually this year um, have a second annual Greater Columbus Cherry Blossom Festival taking place April 1st through 9th throughout Columbus with a final celebration happening April 8th at Franklin Park. Um, So really encourage you to get Get out and take a look at the beautiful cherry blossoms. Franklin Park Conservatory and Botanical Gardens also has an exhibit called Blooms and Butterflies already underway um, now through May 29th um, that is just breathtaking as well. There's nothing like walking around in there and just having butterflies land on you. It's so magical. It is. It is. Definitely want to highlight COSI, our science museum, is a wonderful place to visit no matter the season. But we should mention that for the fourth year in a row, COSI has been named USA Today's 10 Best Reader's Choice Top Science Museum. So right here in Columbus, a one-hour flight or a day's drive from more than 50% of the U.S., you can get to the number one science museum and COSI this spring has a brand new exhibit all about King Tut. So it's opening very soon, March 18th. So right in the heart of most spring breaks, visitors can take a trip back in time and explore, explore the archeology span of ancient Egypt. And the exhibit even features a reproduction of the King's burial chambers and treasures exactly as they were discovered in 1922. That is so cool because I I don't know if I would ever make it to Egypt to see the original. So to see a recreation and kind of immerse oneself in that in that environment and to learn about that ancient history, I think is so fantastic. And it's right here in central Ohio. I know. Pretty cool. You don't have to go too far to see a really amazing exhibit. Um, and we've seen photos as everything is coming together and can't can't wait to get in there in ne- the next week or so. I always feel smarter after I visit COSI. 
Yes, they are <laughs> always, they're so great with education and fun at the same time. They do a wonderful job. What would you say is one of the biggest surprises that first time visitors to Columbus say that they, that they experience? What, what is it that people say, I never knew this? You know, it seems like it's should should be known, but we hear very consistently when people come into Columbus for the first time, and we actually just hosted a huge conference of meeting planners who are considering bringing a uh, meeting convention or big sporting event to Columbus in the next could be, you know, three to even 10 years. Um, some of them experienced Columbus for the first time in early January and could not get over the hospitality that we exhibit here in our city. Um, we hear consistently that the people who live here are some of the friendliest you will ever meet and that also the destination is really accessible. And what I mean by that is, you know, from the heart of our convention center, our downtown, our short north, it's very walkable, it's very accessible. And um, we have so many amazing diverse neighborhoods that each have their own different personality and flavor. And within a very short walk, bike, hike, scooter, however you may be um, mobile these days, you can get to an experience. And when you're out walking around, there are a lot of places to take in nature in the capital city too, aren't there? There absolutely are. So um, certainly the Scioto Mile downtown is a, a great spot. Um, we hear res that residents and visitors alike love to experience that, take a walk or run, run down the Scioto Mile, biking the Olentangy Trail or taking a hike at one of our amazing metro parks um, are all things that, you know, you can experience in a very easy way um, and really throughout the city. For those that are more sports minded, and I know there's a few in Columbus, Ohio and Central Ohio, uh, there's quite a few exciting sporting events coming up this spring, aren't there? Um, there are some big sporting events, so we are really excited to be hosting the men's final four first and second rounds in Columbus, um, also taking place next weekend. Of course, we've got the Columbus crew, the Blue Jackets, the opener of the Columbus Clippers, all within Sports Street um, or Nationwide Boulevard um, right there in the Arena District. Again, very close um, to the downtown, short north, all very accessible. I recently had my first opportunity to take in a match at Lower.com Field to see the Columbus crew play there. Gorgeous new stadium, wonderful amenities. It really is a treasure. And did you say Sports Street? Is that actually a new street we have? Yes. No, that's kind of what we call um, Nationwide Boulevard. It's I got our, you. Yeah, sort of our our little uh, name that we, that we love to talk about when we think that. Again, I keep going back to accessibility, um, but the fact that you have NHL, the uh, MLS, and the Clippers are you know all right there all on the same street with amazing restaurants, bars. Um, our concert venues are all right there too. So not only the amazing um, concerts and events that Nationwide Arena hosts, but certainly Kemba Live as well with even their sort of outdoor space as we get into the warmer months um, presents such a very cool sports and entertainment opportunity um, if you happen to be in the destination. 
We're talking with Sarah Towns. She's the Chief Marketing and Innovation Officer for Experience Columbus. And this spring, there are a wealth of opportunities to visit Columbus, to experience things in Columbus that you may not have done before. We've talked about some family-oriented activities like COSI and, uh, you know, walking the Scioto Mile, sporting events. I, as a grown-up, am very excited for rooftop season, and Columbus is offering me a lot of opportunities to sit on a roof with a tasty beverage and overlook the beautiful skyline. Isn't that true? You and me both. I am so excited for rooftop season. That's one of the things I look forward to most when we get into those warmer weather months. And we have a couple of new offerings too. So um, our new Hilton downtown has just completed its second tower. It is gorgeous, unbelievable views of the city. But on the top floor is Stories on High. And not only is it the most breathtaking views of the city, but you also have two outdoor spaces within Stories. Um, that I think are just going to be hopping throughout the spring season. So excited. I think I'm just going to tour all the rooftops this spring. So I'll start making reservations now. <laughs> yes, I have heard they are, um, they're booking up. The word is out. But, you know, we also have uh, Lumens, which is on top of the AC Marriott, Lincoln Social, which is a fan favorite on High Street, the Mandrake above Town Hall on High Street, and a new hotel opening up on the peninsula downtown called the Junto, which is going to be more of a life lifestyle hotel, which will also have sort of that outdoor opportunity as well. ExperienceColumbus.com is the place to go to begin planning your trip to Columbus, your visit to Columbus attractions, everything from the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium, Franklin Park Conservatory, all of, of the really big attractions. And it's important for us to note that at experiencecolumbus.com, you can actually find opportunities for savings, whether you're looking for lodging or tickets to an attraction. Um, can you go a little more in depth on that, Sarah? Absolutely. We encourage you to book your hotel stay through Experience Columbus. Not only do we offer the best rates that you can find on any other online source, but if you book through Experience Columbus, you receive two complimentary tickets to the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium or two tickets to the Franklin Park Conservatory and Botanical Gardens or a free lift credit if that's what you prefer. In addition to that, we offer uh, Columbus attraction passes and you get approximately a 20% savings if you book through us and book multiple attractions at once. Um, so that is a great opportunity for you to experience the city while saving at the same time. That is such a, a wonderful tip, a kind of a pro tip, as they like to say, that I am embarrassed to say I just learned about. And I have to tell you, Sarah, you and Experience Columbus are doing your job because in the last month, I have hosted three different out-of-town guests, family and friends, who said, I need to come see Columbus. And they were all just completely overwhelmed by the opportunities for entertainment, for wonderful dining recreation, all of the things that we've touched on. So good job for you. <laughs> well, thank you. Keep up the great work. And next time I have someone coming, I'm, my first stop will be experiencecolumbus.com to see that, uh, to see how we can get some of those savings, you know, for our, our experiences. Experience Columbus is also on all of your social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and their feed is really fantastic. Whether you're local or you're not and you're curious, 
it's a great place to start on the Experience Columbus social media platforms to kind of check out what's happening, what's going on, and they do a wonderful job of keeping that content coming. Sarah Towns, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you, and I can't wait until our next conversation about this awesome city. But in the meantime, I hope you have a great spring break, and I hope that uh, everyone who's hearing this finds a little something in Columbus that they weren't expecting and they get to enjoy. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on today. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM, Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.